from a hard heart. I want to talk to you about this this morning because it was this week, and it does happen to me every so often where I wake up with a scripture on my heart. And the first thing that I do is I go to the Word and I read it. I read it in context, and I ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand it. Why did you give this to me? I don't say everything is God. I don't wake up and have a thought and it's always God. That's not what I mean. But I wake up with scriptures. And this week I woke up with this passage and I believe it's not just for me, it's for us. Hebrews 3.15. And Hebrews chapter 3 says it twice. So listen carefully. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is no doubt that the Bible has a lot to say about our hearts. For example, in Proverbs 4.23, the Bible tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. The Bible says in Matthew 5.8, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Luke 6.45 says that our words flow from the abundance of our heart. The overflow of what is on the inside comes out of our mouth. It's representation of our heart. Luke 10, 27 says to love God with all of our hearts. Well, you might ask the question, what is our heart? He's not talking about the physical. He isn't just meaning our soul. It's a part of our soul. To be very clear and simple, our hearts are the centrality and the substance of who we actually are. That's what our hearts are. And this is why the Bible has a lot to say about our hearts And it teaches us to guard them, to purify them, to understand them, to give them to Jesus. We need to know that as the Bible places such great value on the issue of our hearts, it is very possible then that our hearts can harden over time. And haven't we seen that happen? Have have you been tempted to harden a little bit from the inside? Have you encountered situations and circumstances and potentially temptations in your life that are trying to draw you in to a hardening of heart. Maybe not in full, but in part, so that we're no longer the people that that Jesus would see as teachable and pliable and usable. Now, make no mistake, there are a lot of beautiful things in life. Amen? There are just a lot of, just say amen to that one. (laughs) Let's just coordinate those. That's a great place to say amen. There are a lot of beautiful things in life. Amen! You know, that's a good one right there. But in the midst of beautiful things in life that we enjoy and we celebrate, there are also lots of stuff that we face that are definitely worthy, if we're not Christ followers, to bring us into a hardening. I mean, betrayals and temptations and disappointments and discouragements, disillusionments, things that we thought should happen that don't happen. And we come into these places at times in our life and and they have the power, if we're not careful, to harden us a little bit more. And even if it's incrementally so, over a period of time, we get less soft and more hard. And I would tell you that God wants us to soften our hearts. God wants to soften our hearts. He really does, because the truth about this is that God cannot use a hard heart. God cannot use a hard heart. I sort of see it this way, like the issues of life flow into or the issues that we face flow into our life like lava. They just, they flow into our world. And if we're not careful, they'll harden over our heart and cause us to be callous. They'll cause us to be callous. I was um, thinking about when I think of the word hard, uh, this is what comes to mind. I want to show you a picture. 
every day I drive to the church, except for my day off. Uh, but even on my day off, I drive past this. There's a, a road that goes out to 21st. I live one mile down the street from here. So my commute is the best in the world. I can walk it and not break a sweat, you know. But every day that I drive here, I have to stop at a stop sign and I look directly to my right and, and there's, it's a main street. And outside my neighbor's house is this boulder. And if I had to guess, the thing weighs about 6,000 pounds. It weighs, more than a, it weighs more than my Honda Odyssey, which is like 4,600 pounds. The thing, when I, when I look at that, the thing that comes to my mind is that thing is immovable. Me and a couple other big guys in this room could go try to push that thing. Good luck. I know some of you are like, oh, I could do it. You're wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> that thing is huge. All right. The concentration of how hard it is. It's hard to move. It's immovable. And this is what a hard heart is like. It's, it's not movable. Right. It's, it's, it's hard to break. It's hard to move. But then I was also thinking about my house and, uh, we have some landscape rocks and we've been mo moving some things around recently. Uh, not all of it, but just a few things because we want to extend our grass. And so we have these big landscape rocks. And I tried, you know, I, <laughs> I gave it a good effort, y you know, and nothing, and nothing happened because I just wasn't, I just wasn't strong enough. <laughs> so I did what the rest of you did. I get on YouTube and I figured out that you can break rocks. And so one of my friends who's not here right now, so he brought me his roto hammer. And, uh, and then I watched on YouTube, you can drill holes uh, one after another. You do like 20 of them all the way down this rock and you put a wedge in and you split it, right? Okay, well, here's what, ha don't tell Mike. I, I think I already told him, don't tell Mike. He's, he goes, Archer. see those? Uh, I actually got two of the roto hammer bits stuck in the rock. And now it looks like sword in the stone right outside my house. I mean, it just, I had to show you, you wouldn't believe me, you know? Uh, but it's so funny because this is, my point is, is I'm very well acquainted with how hard rocks are right now. They're hard to move. They're hard to break. You understand? And this is, uh, can we take that picture off? So I'll pay him back. I'll, I'll buy him new bits, you know. Uh, <laughs> this is what our hearts can be like if we're not going to maintain them, monitor them, watch over them, apply scripture to them as we walk through life. It's very important because there's so much at stake for us to watch our way in life, for us to move forward in life, for us to not harden, but to rather soften, to be more like Jesus. There's so much at stake. So when we hear the admonition today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If we hear that in, in our minds, let's not act like we're not hard at all. Let's not act like we don't, that's not a scripture for me. Don't do that today. But rather we come before God and we say, if there's anything in me that's hard that's not soft, that's not teachable, that's not pliable to you, then Lord, would you soften it? Would you break that thing up in my life so that I can not only hear your voice, but heed your voice in my life? And I don't know if you knew this, but Hebrews chapter three and verse 15 is a quotation from Psalm 95, which I wanna read to you because I think that it's full of meaning for us today in this regard. And here's what it says, Psalm 95 verse one, the psalmist writes, King David writes, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, 
our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness. Now he's talking about the children of Israel coming out of slavery into the wilderness with the trajectory of the promised land. This is a Exodus 17 reflection. He says, as in the As at Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen my work, they saw the sea parted. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. This is the word of the Lord. A lot of powerful principles in here that we could talk about. I just simply want to talk to you today, not so much about the five warnings of the hard heart or the, the 16 symptoms of a, of a hard heart. I, I could do that, and, and I think that would probably be a good message, actually. But what I want to do instead of help us simply to learn how to identify it, I think as I'm sharing today, maybe you could be honest about your own heart in that there might be some hardness there. But the truth is we have to be able to acknowledge that before God. And if it's true, then we come before God and ask him to help us. But as I'm speaking today, I'm not just gonna talk about how to identify it, but rather I wanna talk to you about how we move away from having a hard heart. If we're consumed with what it takes to have a soft heart, believe me, it will be much more difficult to have a hard heart. And I think in the passage that we're reading, the 11 verses in Psalm 95, there are some answers. There's two heart postures, as it were, that if we maintain these, it will be more difficult for that hardness uh, to happen in our lives. And the first is this. The psalmist would help us to see that we need a heart of worship. Now, in discipleship track three at our church, we have three discipleship tracks. I just unashamedly want to encourage you towards something. We talk about the practices of the Christian faith, and one of those is the practice of worship. It's an hour and a half teaching. It's a long, thorough teaching. In that teaching, I talk about the six biblical words that are used for worship, three Hebrew, three Greek. But the primary Hebrew word in the Old Testament that's used for worship literally could be translated to bow down or to bow low. That's what it means. It means to bow low, to come under. We bow before the Lord You know, you don't bow before anybody unless there's something in your heart. And I've recognized this over my life, but it's important for us to consider who wrote the psalm. King David wrote this psalm. And when we think about the life of King David, I don't know about you, but I'm conflicted when I think about David. In fact, whenever a person gives me a prophetic word and they say, you have the heart of David. And I'm like, wait a minute, what part of David? You understand, I don't just accept your word brother so-and-so, as I don't know what you mean. You have the heart of David, <laughs> you know. <laughs> At least it wasn't the heart of Jezebel. I don't know. I, but I think they meant well. But the problem is, is that I'm conflicted, and so should you be, with David. He's a man that committed egregious sin, adultery, murder, torture. Did you know David tortured people? He tortured kings when they, over, when they would overcome. He did it out of his anger. There's a reason that God didn't let David build him a temple. He said, because you're a man of war, a man of bloodshed. God God did not allow David to do certain things because of the side of him that we don't always preach about. 
But it's amazing to me how in like 1 Samuel 13, I think it's verse 14, where it says that David was a man after God's own heart. Man, what a thing to be said. Don't you want that to be said of you, that you're a man or a woman after God's own heart? I want God to be able to look into my heart and say, you're after my heart. And this is what was said about David, even in the midst of all of his sins and his shortcomings and his difficulties, the things that he did or, or didn't do, I, I think that David had a very interesting life. Not only did David do terrible things, but there were things that were, or at least almost happened to him, that would, I think, create a recipe for him to be utterly offended. I think David, if anybody had a reason to be offended or maybe angry or turn away from his turning towards people and softening his heart, David often had reasons for this. And there's a particular psalm where I think it's important to be reminded David was being pursued uh, and his life was gonna be taken and he knew this, he was on the run. And so he says this in Psalm 27, verse one. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour, devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise up against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Now listen to this. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David simplifies everything. All of this stuff is happening to me, but there's only one thing I'm interested in, and that is to behold the glory of the Lord. To be in the Lord's temple is to be close to his presence. The temple of the Lord was the place of his presence in those days. One thing I seek, this is what I desire. This is why when we think about David, we think about his courage, we think about his worship. He was a man of worship. He's the one that wrote Psalm 95. He had a lot to say about worship. And why am I bringing this up? Because I believe that if we are worshipers, passionate, intimate worshipers, that our heart will be soft. Amen. Our heart will be soft. And there's a reason I think when we look at this passage, you can kind of see why. And the first is a heart of worship acknowledges who God is and what God has done. Look, look what he says right here in the text. He first says, God is the rock of our salvation. He's the one that delivers me, not my strength, not how many people I have, not all that I have. God is the one that delivers me. He said, God is the king over all kings. He's the ultimate authority of heaven and earth. He's over everything and everybody. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? He says, God is the creator. He calls him the maker of heaven and earth. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who made us and everything else. I want to say to you today, our circumstances and situations in life, they matter. I, re I respect that. I'm not trying to minimize them, but I do want to warn us. The things that we go through in life carry the power to narrow our view of God. They carry the power to narrow our view of God. And that often is most manifested when we go through a thing and we stop praying big prayers to a big God. We stop glorifying God over it all and in it all and through it all. We begin to look at the things and the people and the situations and the offenses and the betrayals and all that stuff. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but what I'm saying is that when we lose track that God is greater, we lose track that God is bigger and we forget who he is and what he is like. And that's what this is all about. He is what our life is 
all about. We may not get in this life what we want, what we prayed for, what we asked for, what we hoped for, but if we have God, the truth is we have everything. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. Our worship draws an attention to the Lord. Worship reminds us of the nature, the character, the attributes, the majesty of almighty God. Our problems don't go away when we worship, but they're prioritized. Big God, small problem, rather than big problem, small God. I come in here when I, I know worship, you might say to me, well, Ben, worship is more than singing unto God. And that's true. Worship is a whole life laid down before the Lord. But there's over 900 verses that talk about singing to God. Did you know that? There's a whole book of Psalms. (laughs) They're not all pretty either. A lot of them are very painful, as it were, lamentation and full of honesty. But ultimately, the psalmists reach a place of, of utter joy and finding their hope and satisfaction in, in the Lord as they write and as they sing unto God. There's something special that happens when we begin to worship, when you stand and you worship the Lord, when we come in here together and we begin to sing to God. We look at him, we stare at him, we behold his beauty and the problems or the issues of life, they, 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 they start to get less and our hearts start to soften. Start to soften. Happens in prayer too, doesn't it? My wife knows this about me. If there's any kind of tension in me or tension between us, because you know, there's never any tension between me and my wife. It doesn't exist. Like, this is what I tell her, as far as the East is from the West, that's how far I have removed my tension from you. How could I ever be upset with you? You understand? It just doesn't happen. And, um, yeah, all right. <laughs> But there are times where, you know, we, we, have these, we have these tensions and she'll send me away to pray. I just say, you just haven't prayed yet. And that's an invitation for me to exit stage right and go and pray. And when I do, something happens when I pray, my heart softens. My heart softens. I would ask you, if your heart is starting to harden, my first question is, are you, are you in your secret place? Are you praying? My next question is, are you worshiping? Are you worshiping? Are you looking unto God? Are you declaring his worth and his praises? Because I'll tell you, your heart will soften when you do. Absolutely will happen. Number two, a heart of worship expresses the praise and honor that God is due. Look what he says. He says, sing for, the joy, sing for joy to the Lord. Come before the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing, shout joyfully to the Lord. Bow before God. Kneel before God. Unexpressed gratitude is a lost opportunity to give God the praise that he is due. Unexpressed gratitude. I, I, want, I want to tell you, true worship always finds an expression. True worship. We can't just say, I love God without any expression of worship in our lives. Friends, it always finds an expression. The Bible says it like this, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks, sings, shouts unto God joyfully. Come on, there's a place of expression in our lives. When God is bigger than other things, we're not allowing our feelings to tell us whether or not we should sing or whether we should express ourselves to God or we should pray. It's not about feelings. It's about the worth of God. We're declaring his worthiness in our lives. I'm not waiting for somebody to tell me. Listen, I love our worship teams. All of you guys, I love you, but I do not need you to tell me to worship. I don't need them to say, okay, now let's worship. And I'm not reflecting on them. Now let's worship. I was already there. Come on, I was already there. I came here to worship with you. It's kind of like going to the gym. I didn't come to look at the machines. 
I'm not the best worship, work, workout person in the world, but I don't want to come and stare at stuff and feel depressed about my life. I came to work out. I want to be wasted by the time I leave this place and feel like I did something. I look at church the same way. I come to sing with you. I come to, I come to shout about God's goodness with you. I come to rejoice that God is good. This is why we gather together. I don't come for less than that. I just don't. And so I don't wait for somebody to tell me any of that kind of stuff. Now, I had to go through a whole conversion experience when I came to Christ. I'll just be honest with you. Because when I came out of a life of sin and addiction and all the stuff that I came out of, I mean, I'm not perfect today, but I, there's a lot of things I'm not anymore. Praise God. But when I came out of that, I love, you know, my music, my preference. I, was, I didn't listen to the kind of music that we use today for worship. I like rap and R&B and all that. And I, I thought everything else was either hippies or country. I didn't know. You know, you can laugh, it's fine. But I didn't relate to all that. I remember the first time I came back into church since I was a boy, and I just remember looking at everybody on the stage, and <laughs> can, I, can I just be honest with you? Don't get offended. This is, I'm, this is an honest confession. Sometimes people are like, what? I, uh, I came in, and it, I just thought it, the guitar, the whole thing, like, I, lo I love it now. I love, I just, uh, Jesus. But when I first came in and I was like just fresh off drug addiction and immorality and all that stuff, and I was like brand new and I'm coming in, I'm so excited. I was delivered, you know, I was like, I went through the Red Sea and I'm on the other side. And now, you know, you got this guy showing up at church. I'm, I'm almost 20 and, and, and my whole life has changed. And I, I remember I'm worshiping, but then I, every now and again, I have to open one of my eyes and kind of, because I didn't understand the culture very well. And then I remember the one girl, she was on the stage and she was talking about just dancing to the Lord, you know, she's a, just dancing to the Lord. And she's doing this thing. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, lady, where I come from, that's not dancing. I don't know what you're doing, but she's like dancing to the Lord. And she's just flipping around this whole thing, like a fish out of water. And I like, <laughs> I kind of chuckled to myself because I just didn't, I just come from somewhere else, you know? And so I was looking at that. I'm like, that looks like the cheerleader that didn't make the grade, you know? <laughs> And she just found a place. And I'm glad she found a place in life to be, but I don't know if I can do that. You know? But hey, now I do the hop sometimes, guys. You know, what do they call the Pentecostal two-step? I don't know what they call it. But I do it sometimes now. You know, thank you. You, you. you appreciate me now. But I didn't really get it. You know? I mean, I didn't come from that world. So. But I learned something, that God doesn't have preferences. He doesn't care. What he prefers is our heart. He's looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. They worship from the heart. And it ain't about the two-step or what instruments or the songs, the hymns or the new choruses. And we get all bent out of shape about all that. But the reality is, is he's looking into the heart. Is this person finding every occasion to give God praise? Is this person finding every time that, that, that there's just something in them that can't be contained and it comes out of them in expression? I learned, I, I've worshiped God on street corners, in prisons, visiting people, in prisons, <laughs> you know, got to clarify these days. It's okay if you've been to prison, but you're out now. You're free. Amen. I mean, I, I say from the streets to the skyscrapers, I've worshiped God in every context, every type of song, hymns, choruses, you know, stumbling over words. We'd, I, I tried to sing a song this morning and I know it wasn't the right words. And I think there was a whole line of people that wanted to correct how the song goes and they just prayed for me instead. <laughs> but it never mattered. 
I'll tell you that what, when you express your worship to God, your heart will soften. Stay in that place. Stay in that place. I wake up sometimes with songs on my heart. Do you ever do that? But every week, God will put a song on my heart. And it isn't a song that I've been singing. I, I don't know what the latest and greatest is. I, I, uh, I'm really out of touch. Uh, but there's a song that came to me a couple days ago. It was Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I've been singing that song all week. And isn't it fitting, as we're talking about not having a hard heart, having a soft heart today, that you, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and you see him in the midst of your life, you soften. You can't help, I tell you, you can't really look at Jesus and stay hard. There's no way. If you do, I mean, you're not looking at the real Jesus, in my opinion. You're just not. You look at Jesus and something happens on the inside of you. So I've been singing it, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Amen. Number three, a heart of worship believes that God will continue to do what he has always done. The implication of our worship is that we sing about who God is. And as we do that, we're saying that it's not just what he has done, it's what he always will do because it's actually what he's like. He's our healer, our provision, our portion, our deliverer, our father, our friend. He's everything. He's our portion in life. And it reminds us that if the context of our life doesn't pan out, he is all that we need. That's what worship will do for us. Well, I'll tell you what, we want to have a heart of worship and we will have a softer and softer heart. I remember um, my last thought about worship is that sometimes people say silly stuff and they don't mean it. I mean, I'm going to look back on my ministry and go, man, I wish I didn't say that. Or <laughs> I would have taught that differently. You know how it is. You just grow in maturity over years and you realize you don't know what you don't know and you just speak out of what you do know. But I would come into a worship setting and somebody would say, uh, I, I can remember vividly this one person, worship leader, saying, hey, as you come on in today, as we begin to worship the Lord, hey, just leave all your problems at the door and just come on in. And I thought to myself, well, that's, just, that's a really silly thing to say. I mean, some people, I could just imagine in my mind, this is just how I think. Some people had to look at their spouse. You know, they're like, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to go outside <laughs> today. And there were a couple of us like myself, I made my way outside the door because I am my problem. You got to leave all your problems at the door. I had to leave. You know, that person didn't understand what they were saying. I'll tell you what worship is. Worship is when you, not when you leave your problems at the door and you avoid where you are and who you are. It's where you come on in and you stand where you are and what you are and you say, God, you are worthy of my life. I give back to you whatever I am and wherever I'm at, I just give you praise right here. I'm not going to act like I'm not going through hard times or, or, or my attitude's perfect. I prayed with a man last night who's struggling with forgiveness. And as we prayed, he would say, hey, it's easier said than done. And I didn't look at him and say some cheap Christian thing where I said, hey, you know, just easy, just pray and it's gone and just fly away. I said, friend, what you need to do is keep forgiving. Keep your heart soft. Every time it comes up, keep forgiving. Yeah, it's easier said than done. That's why you need to do it. But as you do it, it gets easier too. As you worship God, it, it, it gets easier. Our problems don't go away. Like you can't worship your way out of debt and you can't worship your way out of betrayal and you can't worship, I mean, turn off the Christian television for a while. They say foolish things on there. Not all Christian television, but sometimes like you should just worship your way out of debt. Yeah, and then give you a donation, right? That's great. See, I probably shouldn't have said that right there. But that's just, this is just the things that people say. 
You know, no, you need to repent is what you need to do. But, but we try to, you can't worship your way out of it. But when you worship, your problems don't go away, but they do get prioritized. They do get prioritized. God first, these things are second. Now that God is first, Lord, teach me in your word how I need to respond to these things. Something powerful about it. The second is we need to have a heart of humility, a heart of worship, and a heart of humility. Remember, David wrote this psalm. I've said that, but I keep reflecting on David who wrote these words in the psalm. He's talking about not hardening your heart. Well, there's a story in David's life, 1 Samuel 24. It's a very interesting story to me. I, I wish I had time to lay it all out to you, but let me summarize it because it's important when you think about the humility that David had. In, in his heart. This is why God would say things about David despite his sin or in the context even of, of his sin. There's something that rose to the top. In 1 Samuel 24, David is on the run. King Saul is pursuing his life. Saul has 3,000 men. David has 300. Everybody say, not fair. not fair. So he's on the run. And it says, David and his men are in a cave. And Saul goes into the cave, and the Bible says, to relieve himself. Now, you can paint the picture of what that means. So Saul goes in to use the bathroom or use the cave. And as he's doing that, he doesn't know that David and his men are in, back in the cave. And David's men pressure him. The Lord has given him into your hands. Go and kill him. And David creeps up. He doesn't really have an intention in his heart to kill him, but he creeps up and he cuts a little piece of his robe. Now, I think his robe was off and it was on the ground and David cuts a piece of his robe off and goes back into the cave and I'm pretty sure his entourage was not happy with him at that point. And David says something like this. I can't go through the whole story, but he, 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 says, he says, far be it from me that I would put my hand or touch the Lord's anointed. But he felt so bad about cutting the robe it says this, there's a verse, I think it's verse seven or eight, 1 Samuel 24, you can look at this later. It says, the King James says, his heart smote him. Now, we don't use Elizabethan English anymore. That sounds pretty cool though. My heart smote me. <laughs> Say that to your spouse today or to the person that serves you at Costco. I mean, just, my heart smote me when I saw this on the shelf. I don't need it to smote you. I need you to swipe your credit card, sir, <laughs> ma'am. <laughs> I'm sorry. It says that David, another translation says, his conscience began to bother him. He cut a piece of a rope. His conscience began to bother him. Just think about that, something in your hand. My conscience began to bother me. I shouldn't have done this. I want to ask you a question. Do you ever think like that? When you say something you shouldn't, when you treat somebody the way you shouldn't, when you judge somebody the way you shouldn't, when you look at something you shouldn't, when you begin to get consumed with anger towards somebody that you shouldn't, when you resist prayer and, and everything else comes out of your heart and mouth towards somebody, does your heart, does your conscience bother you? You know what the Bible says? Paul said to Timothy that people in the last days, as things get harder, more evil and difficult as, as this happens. May I, your eschatology here would matter. We don't have time for that. But as things are difficult and dark and problems occur, he said there are people that will have a seared conscience. They can't feel. They're numb. A seared You ever take meat? You ever sear meat? What happens to it? Immediately, it hardens, it toughens. A seared conscience. When we have a seared conscience, we don't feel those small things. 
We're numb. Friends, I'll tell you what, we cannot allow today's world to get us harder. You cannot afford it. We have to have a softer heart before God. We can't just not care that we say things or do things. I'm not saying that you are gonna have a perfect life in the sense that you'll never do them, but when we do them, do we feel it? Does our heart do something? Do you have that heart? See, when we have a humble heart, we'll respond, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. My, my heart bothered me. My conscience, is your conscience available to the Holy Spirit's conviction right there in that moment? We used to call that what? Immediate obedience. Or we just, oh, Lord, forgive me. Uh, friend, I think we need to go back to that. Go back to having a heart like David. There, there's a humility about David that God saw that we also need to have in our lives. To move away from a hard heart, we need humility. A heart of humility will seek to hear and heed the voice of God. David says here in verse six and seven, he says, kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And then he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You know, Jesus uses the same language in John chapter 10 when he talks about my sheep, hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. It's interesting to me that Jesus calls his people sheep. And then in this passage, it talks about God's people as sheep, the sheep of his, of his hand. We're sheep. Look what Jesus says in John 10, verse four. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. This is the shepherd. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will simply not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We can hear other voices. There are a lot of voices today that are telling us what to do. In fact, I think, I think it's kind of interesting that in today's world, sort of in a political sense, that people label others who don't say what they're saying or seemingly have the strength that they have, they call them sheep. That's the, that's the term today. You're just sheep. You're just sheep. Yeah, friends. Bah. We are sheep. We are the sheep of our shepherd, of his pasture. Absolutely. You want to be a goat? Matthew chapter 25, Jesus contrasts the goat and the sheep. Now, if you're on a farm and you've got goat and sheep, don't correct me after I say all this stuff, okay? I love you. And thank God that you know more about these animals than I do. But he says that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are those that are coming into his kingdom. The goats are the ones that go into this place that we call hell, eternal separation from God. You don't want to be a goat. And yet we see a lot of characteristics of sheep. This is just a contrast between sheep and goats. Sheep are most comfortable in a flock. Goats are much more independent. Sheep need and they follow a shepherd. Goats are self-reliant. You know, they have those horns for a reason. They like to hit people. Now listen to this. This is to me kind of a prophetic thought. Sheep graze on grass. It's a specific food. But did you know goats will eat darn near anything? You guys have goats. I see you guys have goats. I got people in there. They're shaking their heads, which means I'm saying good stuff. No, no, think about this for a minute. Sheep eat a specific kind of food. They graze on grass, all right? The sheep of, a, of their pasture. Goats will eat anything. 
I wonder if that's a prophetic thought for the days in which we're living. Sheep are feeding on what God gives in his pasture. They're feeding from the voice of God, from the word of God. Goats, they're eating it all up. They're eating it all up. And as you eat it all up, those horns start to form in your head that you buck everybody else with. And you know what? We become less like Jesus. We become less like Jesus. We're not humble. We're not sheep-like where we're following him, hearing the voice of our shepherd. Friend, I'll tell you what. Being a sheep, following Christ, is no lack of strength. There is no lack of strength for a person to have humility in their life. And far be it from us to reflect in a season that we're in and act like humility is a commodity to be discarded or looked down upon. Humility is something that God honors. The Bible says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up. The Bible says that he gives his grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. I used to travel um, a lot and speak at conferences and seminars, sort of as a prophetic minister and, and that whole thing. I did that for many years. A lot, a lot of you, I've told, told you this, you, you may not remember, but anyhow, I did that for about a decade. And every time I would come into a place and, and, uh, and I'm full-bred Pentecostal charismatic, but sometimes I think charismatics can overshoot heaven, you know, <laughs> and we're just trying to pull us back. Anyhow, I'd go to a church and they'd say, what is the prevailing spirit that is uh, over this church and city? That, what do you see? <laughs> and I remember like, that's a lot of pressure to, to know that, just to be honest with you. I mean, I know some people uh, maybe see more than that. I mean, let me, let's just be honest. You prophesy in part. Anybody that acts like they see more than they do, it's just a shame. But they would say that to me. They'd say, what do you see? And I remember one time when I was at a church and they were, they were wild. I mean, they were just wild. Like they were out of order in every way, shape and form, right? I mean, I was like, hey guys, this is the Bible. <laughs> you might want to read it. So <laughs> the word and the spirit, amen? We're a church of the word and the spirit. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying it was, it was a weird experience. And, uh, and I'd been to lots of churches. It didn't matter. Um, I don't care if people dance or shout or this, but it was like saying weird stuff that wasn't biblical. That's what I mean. And so uh, they were like, what's the spirit that is coming against this church? And I remember thinking about it a little bit. And I thought to myself, um, the name of the spirit that is opposing the church, his name is Yahweh. Because the Bible says he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, I want you to think about that for a while. Sometimes we're thinking it's a whole nother, it's a demon or it's all these people that are oppressing. Friends, there is a holy hand of God placed on the forehead of anybody that has pride in their life. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You have to be able to walk underneath. You have to be able to bow low. This is really important in the season that we're in when humility is not something that seems to be advocated for. In fact, it seems to be put down. You're just sheep. Yeah, we are. We are sheep of his pasture. Number two, a heart of humility will learn from the failure of the past. This is what he's talking about reflecting on Exodus 17. And just quickly, as he does, he says, those who saw my works. He said, don't harden your heart like those who came into a place at Meribah and Massa when they came through the Red Sea. Think about the story. We all know the story. The children of Israel come out of Egypt in slavery. They come to the Red Sea. 
the Egyptians are coming against them. They're, they're, they're pursuing them, and God raises up the sea. They walk across on dry ground, and he gives them a promise, you will never see this enemy again, and he wipes out their enemy. Just right there, wipes them out. They get on the other side. You know what they first do? They sing a song. It's called the Song of Deliverance. And they begin to sing unto the Lord and they're joyful and they're, they're celebrating and they're thankful and they're singing unto God and it's an incredible time. And then two days later, they get to a place where they don't have any water and it says they begin to grumble against Moses. They begin to question the intention of God, the one that just delivered them, the one that just showed them how much power he has, the one that can do anything, instead of asking God to give water, instead of asking God to give food, they made a decision, we're gonna complain and we're gonna indict the very one that just went, went to all this effort to deliver us and to put us into this place. Just two days later, I'm gonna grumble and complain, I'm gonna forget what he just did two days. It's one thing if you forget last year. It's another thing that you forgot, a sea. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I would like to think I wouldn't, but I probably would do the same thing. It's just hard to conceive. And he says, don't harden your hearts like those who two days after their deliverance were grumbling against God and against God's leader, sort of indicting him and calling his intention into place where they would say, you just left us, you just want to bring us out here to die. You don't, you don't care about us at all. Don't do that. Don't Give yourself to a hardness of heart. God doesn't care. God doesn't see me. God doesn't answer my prayers. God isn't able to do this. God should have done this already. He didn't. He won't. He can't. We start to move down this place where all of a sudden God's not going to do what he said he would. Friends, I'll tell you, humility is, is the way forward. Humility, we humble ourselves. We look at who, who we're talking about. God, his intentions for us are good. His love towards us is full in fact, he's the only one in all of our lives that has full, true intentions of love and righteousness. And it is 100% full, whether we're in a good time or a bad time, whether it's an easy time or it's a difficult time. He is the only one that has full and true intentions that are for us and not against us. He's the only one. But how quickly we can forget, amen, how quickly we can forget about God and what he's able to do, what he's desiring to do. A hard heart is a prideful heart. I want to tell you today that um, as we close, listen, nobody's an exception. I want, to, I want to remind you of who God is, but I also want to warn you. I, I would warn myself at the same time. We're living in a time where it's not hard to harden yourself a little bit and to act like it's not really that bad, to act like it's, I'm not, it's not really happening. If it's happening today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't let what's going on around you harden your heart. Don't lose track of his voice, of his word. Don't harden yourself. Don't harden yourself to any man or any woman. Don't let them take the place of the voice of God. Don't let a situation take the place of the voice of God. Don't let the culture, don't let the times that we're in take the place of the voice of God. What is God saying? That's what we're after. We're after God. I um, was reflecting on Ezekiel 36, and I'll just drop down to the part where he says it here in verse 25 and 26. He says, I will give you, this is God speaking through the prophet, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will take the heart of stone 
and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. That's the new covenant. That's what we have in Christ. We have a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. You know the two differences between a, a heart of stone and a heart of flesh? It's, it's real simple. One's hard and the other's soft. I'm just trying to break it down. God is a farmer and he wants to invest into our lives. And I was uh, thinking about um, my house, actually. I, I have, uh, this is my backyard. I have, I live around thousands of rocks. Like this message is like hitting home today. <laughs> I've got thousands, I've got rock walls, I've got landscape rocks you've already heard about. I just live in a world of rocks. And I, um, I have this natural waterway that's just full of rocks. You see this, this is just a whole lawn of rocks. In fact, it's like four times that size. That's, that's how much rocks I have in my backyard because this water has to flow through it because I live in the bottom of the neighborhood and they built that for the city. It goes to a city drain. And um, we're extending our lawn in, in our yard. And so I brought in three yards of topsoil and I spread it out so I could extend the lawn. And that's what that is on the right. That's three-way fresh topsoil. It's so soft that when you step in it, it's like snow. There's an impression there. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, it's just beautiful. It's just soft. It's just, it's beautiful. I'll tell you what, I have never, not once in the last two years that I've lived in this house, ever thought of planting anything in that. I've never even thought about plant, I've never thought about planting anything in that lawn of rocks. Uh, this just never entered my mind, but here, I'm, 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 I'm a farmer, man. I'm spreading the seed out. It's, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm believing that something's going to come as a result of it, providing that we get water. Amen. God is a farmer. It says that he's sowing the seed of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom. I'll tell you what he can't do. He can't plant in this. Nothing comes when God plants his word in this. Isn't that amazing? It says that he's always sowing seed. And it's a reflection of the parable of our hearts. There are four different kinds of hearts. And he's looking for a 30, a 60, and a 100-fold increase on that which God sows. He's a farmer, and he's looking for us to partner with him. And we do that through the humility and the softness of our heart. Are we available in our heart to God and all that he wants to do? Because he cannot use a hard heart. If we allow our hearts in this season to get hardened, think about what that's going to do for the years to come, what we're going to miss, what we won't see happen, what we won't hear, what we won't see. All the while, we might be praying for God to do something, and he's waiting for us to repent. He's waiting for us to forgive. He's waiting for us to let go. He's waiting for us to release. He's waiting for us to give him more. He's not going to bypass us. He's calling us to partner with him. He wants us to be like this and not like that. And friend, today, as we're here today, let's not act like we are that if we're not. All we got to do, though, is come to him and say, Lord, I pray, I pray that you would make me like that pliable, plantable ground, that all that you want in and through my life, that you can have it. Have your way, oh God, have it that my heart would not be like a rock or hardening. Would you stand with me as we pray? Let's do that today. Thank you, Lord. As I pray, all I ask you to do is if you know that your heart is hardening in this season, I'm asking you to give yourself freshly to the Lord. Just offer your heart to him right now. Just, Lord, I pray right now, if there be any wicked way in me, help me to turn from it. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to be useful in your hands. I want to be teachable. I want to hear your voice. And I'm not interested in hardening my heart anymore. If your heart is being hardened or your heart is hard, give it to God right now.
as I pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you are the one that can soften our hearts. It's not some effort of man. It's not something that we can produce or prove. It's something that we, as we come to you, we surrender and we repent from sin, from pride, and from anything else, the deceitfulness of sin that hardens us, or maybe even our woundedness and our offenses that we've built up as a wall, a barrier. And if pe people have come against us, sinned against us, or whatever they've done, we've allowed that, the sin against us, to produce sin in us. And we repent of that today. We ask you, Lord, to soften our hearts. If that's you, just ask him to do that. Just soften my heart. Soften my heart to the to not only you, but the situations of life that you would find me useful. I just wait there right a moment. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. And you would just saturate us, fill us, baptize us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us a revelation of where we are and where you're bringing us. And I pray there would be no resistant thing in us. Nothing hindering you, nothing resisting you, nothing. Expose it, reveal it, help us, Lord, to remove it or to deal with it. Father, deal with us today in your precious love. We know that's what you do. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.